You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones and the Tempo of Film. I'm Steve. Hello, Matt. And we're VHS Podcast. It looks at the box art trailer and behind the scenes. And we're starting a new themed month connected to the last episode of our hot and sweaty. Matt, introduce what is the franchise that we are reviewing? From the heat all the way to Christmas, <laughs> we are taking on the first Lethal Weapon in our Lethal Weapon franchise coverage. He's a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jujitsu, just bring him down. They really want to jump. Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you mean? Wait a minute. What the? He was ready to retire. Now, he's going to wish he had. Gun! Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? <laughs> If these guys can just stand each other. What you got in there? Boy and Smith? A lot of old timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Don't kill anybody, don't tell anybody. I'm too old for this. Are you as good as you say you are? Nobody can touch me. Suppose we better register you as a lethal weapon. You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet. Oh, I'm a weapon. I'm a weapon on this podcast. I'm coming at you, Matt. <laughs> lethal. And I'm just getting too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older than you. It's a, it's a real role reversal. But why do I feel like a mummy every day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to help you out. Uh, maybe get you a dog or something. <laughs> mm, there's already enough in this building. <laughs> You'll hear them throughout the episode. <laughs> uh, speaking of funny ages, I love the character play in this film. I mean, there's so much about this film that I love. I love that Mel Gibson is playing what? Would you say he's playing a 35, 40-year-old? I think there's one mention that he is in his 20s, actually, in this movie. No way. So probably late 20s. Yeah, I do believe it's in this one. But wasn't he in the end of Nam? And Nam ended in 75, the Vietnam War? Yeah. So what would that math on? I don't want to do that math. But let's say he's 22 at the end of 75, maybe 24. And then this movie's 87. That's 12 years added on. So he's got to be in his mid thirties. I could have sworn somebody mentioned that he was like late 20s. Unless he wasn't in Vietnam and he was in some kind of special ops past that. I do think, no, I think he was in Vietnam. I I do think there was mention of kind of everybody being involved in Vietnam. So yeah, I don't know. I thought I caught that, but maybe I'm just making it up. I don't know. (laughs) We're not here to pick apart the script that way. Uh, We're not, we're not that good at math. Uh, But I will say that Sarah and I, when we watched this, thought it was hilarious that Mel Gibson is 30 years old when this movie is recorded, yet he looks 40, but he's also young and healthy looking, and we were so confused. 
smoking maybe <laughs> that's the only but he, it's not of. the wrinkles i think it's his skin it's like he's never put on suntan lotion well australia and then moving to la i mean yeah probably just always constantly in the sun baking <laughs> and then we discussed uh, because we didn't know the ages until after we discussed this because danny glover i was like there's no way he's in his 50s in this because then i was doing the math from the end of 87 you know until now and i'm like there's no way he's that mean he would have to be 90 something years old now and or 80 or 90. And I know he's not that old today. He's probably in his mid 70s today. And then we looked it up and he's 40. Did you say he was 52 in this movie? The character? Yeah, I think he says he's 50, 50. in this movie because he makes a mention of when he turns 52, he can semi retire or whatever. So let's say Mel Gibson is a 30 year old playing a 25 year old. That's fine even though I don't think there's any way that a character could be 25. But <laughs> you've got Glover playing a 40-year-old playing a 50-year-old. It's fantastic. I love Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, Dan Glover really sells it really well. I, I, He's one of those ones that I always did think was older because it works in this movie. I believe it. I believe he's 50 in the movie, in the world of the movie. Uh, so, yeah, that sells. Yeah, Mel Gibson's kind of ageless, though, to me, because, yeah, he could be either be 40 or 20. I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, he's got that glorious mullet, baby. Oh, that 80s, beautiful mullet. So let's talk about the director on this. Richard Donner. Never heard of him. Yeah, we did a little bit of discussion on, uh, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of uh, discussion on Richard Donner in our last episode, Maverick, because of the connections uh, to this. And yeah, this was coming off of Goonies and he kind of probably needed a little bit of a career shift or something because, you know, did the Omen and then, you know, later went to do Goonies and Superman and then then to this. The man's always kind of shifting. He's always kind of reinventing himself. So this was like kind of a good, fun reinvention for him. You know, this was kind of like his revival. It does. It feels like it kind of gave him a second wind. He probably didn't want to get stuck in the kids kind of movie thing coming off of Superman and Goonies. And so this kind of pushed him back into the adult movie realm. And I don't just mean like necessarily action movies like this movie is, but, you know, something a little bit more, you know, your audience is an adult. This is an R-rated movie. Your audience is more grown up. You're not making like a kind of all audience movie like Goonies here. And then we saw Donner kind of take off after this and kind of do a lot of kind of adult stuff after this. Yeah. And the most important, the Tales from the Crypt series. Yes. <laughs> uh, but we, since we talked so much about Donner last week, you know, we can move on to another famous name in this that we talk about all the time. Somehow we get Shane Black into like one out of every four episodes. So we can actually talk about him because he's actually, you know, the writer involved. Yeah, he's involved. (laughs) And this is crazy that this guy is. I I don't know how young he was when he sold this for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to Warner Brothers. I can tell you one story that after Joel Silver read it, he weighed it in his hand and told Warner Brothers, he goes, this is a 50 million dollar script like he was like weighing it in money. (laughs) <laughs> and I love, of course I love Joel Silver. He's just like, this is a $50 million script. Just let me have a pass on it and work with the writer. Yeah, and this was hot. Obviously, it was the movie that propelled Shane Black into superstardom. And he was able to, you know, do his own thing and sort of become auteur of screenwriters where he got to do Long Kiss Goodnight, and Last Boy Scout, and Last Action Hero, things like that. 
all the L movies that he did uh, from the 80s into the 90s. <laughs> this, I, I mentioned it when we were kind of off air. It also, though, as we're big Shane Black fans, we've probably seen all these movies hundreds of times, but like this feels weirdly like the least Shane Blackish movie of his entire filmography. Yeah, I think there's two big elements to that. One, he's younger. Um, and most of the time when he was younger, he was punching up script or punching up dialogue. Um, I think maybe that could be a part of it. And I think the the second part of it is he's got two other people he's working with, Joel Silver, who toned down the third act. And when we break down the movie, I'll describe the couple things that Joel Silver took out. And, you know, we have another writer that they brought in that specifically concentrated on script structure. And he also added elements of comedy. Because I, I don't think Shane Black was quite good at s- script structure yet because he was so young. He was kind of just like all the creativity was going on page and it was so, he was so talented. It was so good. Everyone read it and they're like, Jesus, this is something here. Except apparently Paramount and Universal who immediately turned it down. Idiots. If this movie, I mean, if you look at studios, this movie belongs at Warner Brothers in the long history of cop movies and gangster movies that Warner Brothers has had in their arsenal there since their entire existence. This movie belongs there. Yeah, and this was definitely during a period of time where buddy cop movies had come back. There were a few before this. You know, I always remember Running Scared, which I recently watched. A couple months ago, I think a couple months ago, I brought up that I had not seen that. And I finally saw it. You know, it's it's pretty good. It's 80s. It's really 80s. But then again, so is this. Anyway, this kind of like reestablished. There might have been other movies that were doing the buddy cop and trying to bring it back. But this like reestablished like, oh, we're going to make a bunch of cop partner movies after this. Yeah, I mean, definitely rejuvenated, reinvented the buddy cop movie, as well as I think just in general, the cop movie. Because when I think of like the stuff before this, like the Prince of the Cities and things like that from the mid 80s, they were way more, I would say, brooding. Because this movie's dark. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of darkness to this movie. But there is also a certain level of, I guess, playfulness to it as well as the darkness. Whereas before, I feel like they were really moody, really dark, really hard edged, you know, like the, the the real looks at the streets, you know, that the cops see or whatever. This one made it kind of, I guess, accessible. And maybe that's why this was such a big mainstream hit and led to so many millions of other cop and buddy cop movies after it. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones that I know this came like 10 years afterwards or whatever, but. The only reason we have Rush Hour is because Lethal Weapon. Absolutely. And that was just a different take on the buddy cop movie. And, you know, there's so many other ones. I mean, probably Bad Boys, Michael Bay. Yep. I mean, there's quite a bit. And then the greatest, one of the best parodies ever, Loaded Weapon 1. Yeah, great. National Lampoon movie, Emilio Estevez, Sam Jackson. Very funny. I thought it was interesting that I forgot that Beverly Hills Cop came out way before this three years or no, no, five years before this first one. I honestly thought they were right by each other. It feels like there is DNA shared there a little bit. Definitely, because that one's kind of a buddy cop movie, even though, you know, there is a clear lead. They're not sharing. But when he gets to L.A. and he has his buddies, I'm like, eh, kind of buddy cop. It's like a trio. Yeah. Okay, so let's play a little game with this. I'm going to mention some of the movies that were out around the time period of this. And then I want you to guess 
the worldwide gross for this film. So, just thought this would be a fun game since we love to bring up the box office. I can tell you that Raising Arizona was out about the same time. Okay. We had Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a bunch of other crap that I don't know. <laughs> Hollywood Shuffle, Street Smart, I don't know what that is. Anyway, I can tell you the second movie, Raising Arizona, made $22.8 million worldwide during this time period. Can you tell me in a total amount, you know what, let's just do total worldwide. How much do you think Lethal Weapon made off $15 million? 100, 100 million for sure worldwide, at least, right? 120. Yeah, I would I would have assumed. I mean, we got four fucking movies yeah. from it. So. <laughs> so Joel Silver was off. He held that script and was like, I got $50 million right here. Uh-uh, you got 120, son. Yeah, and they were like, uh, let's make another one of these. <laughs> Oh, man. I love it when Joel Silver is the one who kind of like aims down. Oops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was a pleasant surprise for him. Definitely. So let's get into this tape. If we're walking down the aisle on a Friday night at the local mom and pa video store, what do we got here in the cover? I love this cover. It is. It's so simple. But like this is like, this is how you do a good simple cover. It's all gray. And I'm, I'm looking at the 1987 original VHS. And this thing is old. When I was watching this movie, it is like dark. <laughs> it's an old one. Um, but it's all gray. And it says Mel Gibson, Danny Glover. At the top, we get a tagline of two cops. Glover carries a weapon. Gibson is one. He's the only L.A. cop registered as a lethal weapon. And they cut out in the middle of the gray. That's kind of bottom center of the box. We get a cutout. It's a publicity still with the two of them. Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, kind of looking towards the camera. Uh, Glover's got a gun kind of close to his face. Mel Gibson's just kind of looking directly at us. And Danny Glover's slightly behind his shoulder. And then we get the credit block underneath it. And then there's, there's in the picture, there's a closed caption little logo, which I think is funny, within the publicity still picture. And yeah, the credit block underneath. Why wouldn't you put that, I don't know, underneath the publicity still? Like, I don't know. That's weird. Two does. <laughs> yeah, two does. But the first one does not. And then I love when you like flip it over to the side. Like this is during the time when Warner Brothers would put like the genre it belongs in. And it has a little green tag along the top that says adult action. I know. When you put adult action, it sounds worse. Like if you just put action. Okay. I think they're trying to say, like, hey, this isn't a kid's movie. I, I feel like adult being on a box became something later in the 90s. <laughs> in the 80s, it just meant, hey, it's not for kids. Let's wish Matt luck reading this ridiculously long description on the back. We're going to get the story of the movie. We're going to get some behind the scenes. and We're going to get some reviews. So let's kick it off. One of the best, most exciting police action thrillers since The French Connection. Jeffrey Lyon, sneak peek. I think this movie is better than French Connection. Having just watched that recently, I think French Connection is very overrated. Throwing down. Coming in with the hot takes early. (laughs) I agree with you, but damn. (laughs) Martin Riggs, Mel Gibson, is no ordinary cop. He's Mad Max gone maniacal. A man whose killing expertise and suicidal recklessness make him a lethal weapon to anyone he works against or with. Roger Murtaugh. Danny Glover is an easygoing homicide detective with a loving family, a big house, and a pension he doesn't want to lose. Imagine Murtaugh's shock when he learns his new partner is a guy with nothing left to lose. Wild-eyed, burnt-out Martin Riggs. Lethal Weapon is the thrill-packed story of two Vietnam vets turned cops who have one other thing in common. They both hate to work with partners. 
The partnership becomes the key to survival when a routine murder investigation leads to an all-out, take-no-prisoners, martial arts, and machine guns war with an international heroin ring. Director Richard Donner, Superman the Movie and the Goonies, moves that war moves that war at two speeds, fast and faster. Hot LA days and nights explode into one show-topping scene after another, culminating in a no-holds-barred battle between Riggs and his angel of death nemesis, Gary Busey. An electrifying sequence incorporating three martial arts styles and requiring four full nights to film. Fast, fierce, and frequently funny, Lethal Weapon fires round after round of can't-miss entertainment. Woo, you made it, buddy! That's this long description from this 1987 VHS. Oh, it's going to be fun talking about Gary Busey. This is kind of the film that brought him back and everyone figured out he's a better antagonist than a protagonist. Yeah, the first sort of Gary Busey super sinister villain kind of character. <laughs> yeah, he said this is what propelled him back into being passion, passionate about acting. Because he had failed so many times playing the, the good guys. But I'm going to tell you right now, Gary Busey, you did not fail in Eye of the Tiger. Just not enough people got to see it because that thing is spectacular. We talked about it in Silver Bullet, too. How good is he in that movie? So, like, yeah, dude was just killing it in the 80s. But, yeah, I mean, this obviously gave him a, a different kind of new boost than those movies of the past had. But, yeah, God bless him. Weirdly, I feel like he's barely in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but his scenes are so damn memorable. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not taking anything away from the performance. I just thought he was honestly in it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I would say he's like maybe 10 minutes screen time. Yeah, I would wager to bet that in this two-hour movie, I feel like. Yeah, he's he's the overarching villain, but he only is peppered in. <laughs> yeah, I did notice the production still on the back of this, like where they have the house exploding. Yes. Uh, not the best house explosion picture. No, it's kind of a mess. Kind of don't even really know what's going yeah, on in it. Yeah, I mean, I get the other one where it shows Riggs and Murtaugh together. It's like, okay, that's classic. Got to have that, even though you already have it in the front. Personally, I think you got to get the bad guys on the back of this. I think they set up that camera to get that explosion, and someone just snapped the picture a little too early. Yeah, it's a. It's. I was gonna say it's like a, it's a great scene in the movie, and it's really well shot, and it looks really fun when they kind of blow back and stuff like that from the explosion. The stunt work on that is incredible, but yeah, this picture doesn't quite capture. <laughs> yeah, I do know Mel Gibson fought to not have a stuntman for that, but the, uh, Mel, <laughs> Warner Brothers is like, uh, no, we can't afford to blow up our star. <laughs> yeah, just like he he's crazy though. I mean, he did a lot of his own stunts in Mad Max. He's nuts. I think kind of, again, uh, like Danny Glover sort of has some baggage that just him as an actor is bringing into this character. So does Mel Gibson. You kind of have this idea of Mel Gibson as Mad Max, the road warrior and stuff like that. So then he comes in this and he's playing crazy. He's playing a weapon. You kind of almost just immediately believe it. Yeah. Even though some of it's a little goofy, I thought, you know, because uh, he's got this whole Three Stooges love. And we'll talk about throughout a little bit in the movie that you see his character, you know, doing like the what? And it gets worse as the series goes on. This one is just slightly, uh, I guess, depending on how you look at it, worse, maybe better, depending on what type of movies you like. But it works because I actually think he's crazier when he's not trying to be crazy. If that makes any sense, the way he walks, the way he talks he just looks like he's got a problem. Yeah, he does that kind of like where he uses the 
Three Stooges things on those guys. Yeah. You know, at, near the beginning or whatever. And yeah, he just the recklessness, I guess, with which he just kind of walks through life. Yeah, it just is very. Yeah. <laughs> so before we pop this tape in and get to the feature presentation, we want to remind you that we are having a fun giveaway here uh, through the end of August. If you rate and review us on iTunes, if it's your own account, your wife's account, your son's account, your daughter's account, I don't care what account you use. Just rate and review us five stars. Put whatever you want. I love VHS. I love this podcast. Whatever. And we will give you a prize that we will read. You know, we'll read all the reviews at the end of August. And then we'll pick a winner. Um, And this includes everyone who has rated and reviewed us in the past. So hopefully you're still listening. And also another thing we're going to add in. Because so many people use Spotify and YouTube now to listen to us. If you subscribe on YouTube, take a screenshot of it. Just email us at analogjonestof at gmail.com. Hey, you're in it too. Please give us uh, give us the rates. Please continue to tell your friends and stuff about us too. Word of mouth helps. But we need, we need that uh, physical evidence. We need that proof that only those reviews can get us. That moves us up the charts. That gets more eyes on us. It's important. It sucks. I know you don't want to do it, but it'll take two seconds and you could win something for it. So come on, help us out. Right on. And I can tell you right now, it's going to be a Blu-ray and a VHS. So everyone's happy. The new people and the old people. We're all happy. And who knows? Maybe I'll dig something up to throw in there, too. (laughs) Ooh, a secret weapon. A lethal. A lethal (laughs) But not lethal weapon. I'm keeping these. (laughs) (laughs) Let's pop this in and see what we got before the film starts. Now available on video and DVD. The one trailer, fast trailer, I don't know if it was 30 seconds or 90 seconds or whatever, for The Lost Boys, because it was 1987. It's a Warner Brothers movie. It's literally playing in the theater in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> um, if you look in the background, it's in one of the, the theaters in L.A. Um, yeah, we get a trailer for Lost Boys beforehand. You talk about getting me hyped. It was like, oh, Lost Boys, and then watching Lethal Weapon. I was, it, was a, it felt like a VHS Saturday night going you know, to the rental store. That's a good one to have before Lethal Weapon. Nice. Yeah. Very 1987. I'll be honest. I expected nothing because this came out during that time period where, eh, you know, sometimes we just didn't get any trailers. Yeah. Especially Warner Brothers. Even even Maverick, which we got with 94, didn't have any trailers on it. It, it didn't seem until kind of the mid 90s that the trailer kind of explosion happened on all these VHSs. So I was very surprised to see that this was on there, but pleasantly surprised nonetheless. All right, feature presentation. And now, our feature presentation. This movie is fun, how it starts out. It doesn't give you this, like, Riggs was a damaged man where his wife died. You know, we don't have a shot of him at a funeral or, like, looking at her photo. It just starts right away where he's an undercover narcotics officer that is crazy. And they sell it quick. Well, you're skipping over kind of the opening that I think sold this movie, especially to somebody like Joel Silver, where you start with like a prostitute. And the opening shot, you start with like a prostitute, a sex worker or whatever. Is oh, yeah, I, mi- I mixed up. I mixed up. I thought it was the bust and then the suicide. I forgot. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. She's laying topless and then she does a line of coke and then she jumps off the the railing. I mean, this is... You see this in a script as you're kind of opening. I mean, I, I, if I'm a studio executive, I'm already buying it at this point because I'm like, this is different. 
this is going to feel different. This is going to hit different. <laughs> like, it did. They're starting off very boldly. Here. I was really surprised. And I've seen this so many times. I, I think I'm surprised every time that she actually goes through and kills herself. This is like one where like, oh, OK, this is not pulling punches. Wow. And then we get the sort of glimpse into crazy Mel Gibson where he's just like naked and he's just walking around his apartment. And it's like, and it's like, wow, this is really got a great sort of opening. I would say like 30 minutes. Cause then we meet Danny Glover and he's in the bathtub and it's his birthday and he's all kind of grizzled and stuff like that. Like it's I mean, genius way to introduce both the plot and your, your characters. You're going to be following. Yeah, the nude prostitute. Mel Gibson butt, and then we get Danny Glover's kids all surrounding him when he's butt ass naked in a bathtub because it's his birthday. It's a bubble bath, so <laughs> I think the necessary parts are covered. <laughs> it's still weird. I still felt uncomfortable for him, but I, I feel like this was like your dad walking around in his underwear and you know busting in on your parents in the bathtub. Apparently, it was just cool in the eighties. It's fine. Yeah, it's just fine. Nobody cared. <laughs> you're you're damaged already. You're fine. You're fine. And that's that's the man I am today. Because I guarantee you, I busted in on my parents, like you know, using the shower or whatever. And they're like, "What are you doing in here? I gotta pee." <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, growing up, we had one bathroom. I'm sure that's exactly <laughs> same. Wasn't weird. So four boys and a mom and dad, six people, one bathroom. We didn't get a second bathroom until I was like well into my teenage years. So insanity. Yeah. So, you know, we know. (laughs) I remember there's pictures of me and my two younger brothers. We all were taking a bath at the same time. And I always thought that was funny. And then I realized that's because my parents are like, you know, we can't do this. Three kids doing one bath at a time. No, it's not happening. All of you just jump in the tub. Yeah, let's go. Let's go playtime. Sure. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> oh, you're damn right. I'm pretty sure that was He-Man time. <laughs> I mean, I know. I mean, I was I was alone and only child or whatever. But that bathtub, we talked about it in uh, Speed 2. <laughs> so <laughs> I know. Bathtubs, kids, it's always a blast. Can't wait. To, can't <laughs> wait till mine's old enough to be in the bathtub and be like, you got to get out of there. You're pruning. I don't want to. Get out of the bathtub. My dad wants you to go to bed. (laughs) Uh, It's coming. It's coming. (laughs) Just you wait. So, yeah, it is a fantastic start. And then we get into seeing, you know, Riggs is a narcotics officer and then very quickly finds his way into being the partner of Murtaugh. One of the things I love is at the beginning when they first meet, he's got a gun and he goes, God, and he runs at Riggs. And then Riggs looks at him like he's crazy and then flips his ass on his back. Yeah. And is like, when points his gun at him, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's because like, it's because Mel Gibson just showed up in like a baseball cap and like a jacket. He doesn't look like a detective. <laughs> no. And they're describing him. One of the characters is describing him in the background. I was like, yeah, he's a real burnout. No one wants to work with him. This is like his last chance. And then he's just like looking at Mel Gibson, who just kind of looks like he could probably be a drug addict. Not quite. But, you know, like he's got his hat brimmed down. He's playing with a gun. It's weird. Yeah, he looks like he was somebody who was taken in versus somebody who would be your partner. (laughs) But I mean, to Murtaugh's credit, you know, he gets him right away, finds out they're like, okay, you're going to smoke in the car. And throughout, I don't know when he quit smoking in the series. I don't remember. Uh, We'll talk about it later on there. 
But I just love at the beginning how much this annoys the hell out of Danny Glover's character. Just like, Jesus, roll down the windows. <laughs> Danny, I can relate to Danny Glover in that, like, he's just like, I don't really work with others. I've I've gotten by this long without getting shot at or killed or harmed or anything like that. And I'm just chilling. I'm just trying to get through. I'm just trying to keep my head down and keep my family fed. You know, and then Riggs is in here being like, I'm going to jump off this building with this guy. <laughs> well, I'm going to play two audio clips in a row. And I hate doing this, but they're both so good. Like where Mel Gibson is talking to the jumper. What are you doing? See this key? Bye bye. You're crazy. Now you can jump if you want to, but you'll be taking me with you. And that makes you a murderer. Okay, come on. Let's go you back. Bastard. Yeah, you'll be killing a cop. Have yeah, I'll be killing a psycho nut. Cop. Yeah, a psycho, but I'm still a cop. You coming in? Come on, I'm going in. Fuck you. I'm jumping. Do you really want to jump? Do you want Yeah, I mean, talk talk about the movie that really propelled Mel Gibson into superstar. I mean, he was already a star after Road Warrior, but this was like explosion into the, you know, name actor territory. Yeah, this was your name can now sell a movie territory. This is A-list material. You're getting invited to parties that you and I don't even know about. <laughs> I mean, we didn't know about any of them anyway, but I'm just saying, like, this is high territory. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going anyway, whether <laughs> Whether I was invited or not. Oh, well, at this time period, we'd have to really watch out for John Travolta. Because now, at this point, no one knew he was crazy. But we we knew. Eyes on him at all times if you're at a party. (laughs) I know. If there's a party with John Travolta and Mel Gibson, I'm running to Mel Gibson. That is how much John Travolta scares me. I think I would actually say the same thing. (laughs) But I'm never taking my eyes off of Travolta, though. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm just assuming that Mel Gibson will protect me. Yeah, I'll just walk up to Mel and be like, hey, man, uh, the beaver was really cool. Uh, yeah, uh, good to see you. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> All while making sure I am avoiding John Travolta at any point in the room that he is at. Uh, there we go. As long as I, I think we get John Travolta in this being crazy about one every 10 episodes. Good. Keep the word out. <laughs> Spread it. Stay safe out there, people. John Travolta is still out in this world. <laughs> so the second audio clip, now they're not going to be back to back. Sweet. Um, the second one is when they're in that room and Danny Glover slams that door and just goes, are you are you crazy? What are you? Are you really suicidal? And then this happens. Get up. Yes or no? You want to die? Yes or no? I got the job done. What the hell do you want? You didn't answer the question. Oh, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I do. I even got a special one for the occasion with a hollow point. Look, make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out. Do the job right. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it every single day. And you know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now, that's the reason. You want to die? I don't. I'm not afraid of it. I ain't afraid of it. Take my gun. Don't nibble on the barrel. Pull the trigger. Go ahead, pal. Be my guest. Go ahead if you're serious. You should tempt me, man. Put it in your mouth. Bullet might go through your your ear and not kill you. Yeah, under the chin. Yeah, 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 under the chin. All the other scenes made me want to watch the movie. This sold me on their relationship. This is fantastic. This is what made four movies. Yeah, I mean, it's them. It totally is. It's them. It's their dialogue. It's their chemistry. It's the how good of actors they are. You, you know, we talked about how Richard Donner seeks out characters 
and you know builds the world kind of around them we talked about it in maverick or whatever and we were talking about a little bit off air before we recorded this but like yeah this is the thing that takes you through this this has kind of the same thing that maverick has where this is just such an easy watch you know what i mean this is on tv or you're watching the vhs two hours later you're like fuck i just sat and watched the whole movie you know you don't even realize it like it's such it's easy easy cinema or it's 110 minutes and it flies for an 80s movie this flies by i'm impressed and I'm not talking about run times in 80s movies. A lot of 80s movies just had long, slow, drawn out talking scenes because I, I feel like they gear that up for TV and they're like, oh, we got to get to syndication. I'm going to have a lot of talking scenes because they're going to cut out a lot of the, the rough action, which they did not when this went to syndication. <laughs> All the explosions are left in. They did take out the cuss words, naturally. But. That's all. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mel Gibson's butt is censored and uh, <laughs> the swearing is taken out. But other than that, everything else is there. I had seen this movie pretty recently, like a couple of years ago, because at, for a movie night at, at our place, we showed it. But we showed, of course, because it's us and we're, we do weird stuff all the time. We showed a VHS of it that I found that I taped off of TBS in the late 90s, early 2000s. Of course. So I had all the commercials and stuff in there and whatever. But yeah, it's so true. Like all of this stuff is still intact when you watch it on TV. And this is kind of another perfect TBS TNT movie. It's good cinema. It's well made. The acting's good. There's a budget. Everything kind of looks good. Everything kind of works. And then the breezy, easy, easy watch, like runtime wise and pacing wise. So this is perfect for TV. <laughs> yes. Quick sidebar. I'm going to try to do this in 30 seconds. One of the things that I want to start posting on YouTube is finding old TV, old movies that were recorded on TV and then put it on YouTube with all the commercials. Now, naturally, I've got to get a movie that won't get copyright all over it and get taken down anyway sidebar over i think that would be interesting you gotta find either stuff that's public domain or yeah just stuff that people won't give a shit about anymore <laughs> yeah because it would just be fun to show at a movie party like just leave all the commercials yep that's what we did that's what we did with lethal weapon <laughs> nice awesome uh yeah moving on with this i mean the bad guys we got to talk about them you got the general mitchell ryan Character actor extraordinaire. Yeah, I didn't know his name at all. Uh, he's, but I've seen him in a lot. <laughs> oh, he's been in so much. I mean, the ho- I mean, he's done Liar, Liar, Halloween, Lethal Weapon, and Gross Point Blank. I mean, he's been in everything. And I think I heard that this is like what resurrected his career was being the bad guy in Lethal Weapon. He's great and sort of our kind of big bad because Gary Busey's sort of like the muscle. You know, he's the one. This is the, he's the main. The main bad, this general guy. Uh, and yeah, he's he's great in this. Yeah. My, one of my favorite acting points he's ever done is in Liar Liar when Jim Carrey goes insane. He goes, ah, ha, ha, you had me there. This guy right here, he's going places. Fantastic. <laughs> and then the muscle in this is played by the dashing Gary Busey. That sterling blonde hair, Gary Busey. <laughs> I think uh, Mel Gibson called him an albino jackrabbit. And that's kind of how he's playing it a little bit. <laughs> I mean, he's fantastic. He's got a boring name, Joshua. I always thought I was like, oh, we got to spice that up. But whatever. We'll let the character do the talking. I mean, it's probably some kind of biblical connection or, you know, there's probably some deeper connection to it that we just, you know, we'll never know. But uh, I'm sure that's why because he does kind of look like this kind of. Yeah, like albino, just like the white skin, the sterling white blonde hair. 
this, you know, the suits that show off his perfect figure and stuff like that, like his built ass figure. It's funny how good a shape he got in from, you know, Stephen King's Silver Bullet to We the Weapon, which is only a few years apart. Because I think Silver Bullet came out in 85, right? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, this must have really inspired him to this. And of course, you know, Eye of the Tiger. You guys need to really watch that movie and then listen to our podcast on it. It's fantastic. I know most people won't. It's awesome. Trust me. Do it. It's pretty easy to find out. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, just just. Probably type it in on YouTube that's on there or something. But yeah, watch it. It's a good one. No excuses. It's amazing. Tom Atkins, the great, the majestic mustache, Tom Atkins. Oh, man. He's the one that really, you know, is kind of the glue of this whole story. So the story is we see a girl commit suicide at the beginning. We find out that she was actually poisoned. And so it didn't really matter if she committed suicide. She was going to die anyway. And that's because she saw something. And then they go to Tom Atkins, Michael Hunsaker, who is the father of this girl who's, you know, like 21. And I I think she was I think she was a prostitute and she was doing a little bit of, you know, the adult industry films, but like the really weird kind where it's just like shot on shitio. And then it finds out that, you know, the connection to the father is he is involved laundering money, I think, for this heroin business run by old special ops people and so this is how this all gets going and she saw something she's killed Riggs and Murtaugh get into this they bust someone and then before you know it they are like going down this rabbit hole of really fucked up shit with the heroin business which is run by bank you know banks are involved you know all kinds of like crazy military connections that they're like sending shipments of heroin from Vietnam over or something like that. A couple of years ago, Shadow Company got together again. The war was over. But we still had our list of sources in Asia. And? And we've been bringing it in ever since. Bringing in what? Heroin. Two major shipments a year. It's all run by ex-CIA, soldiers, mercs. (laughs) You son of a bitch. If you were getting cold feet, why did they kill Amanda? Why not just kill you? They can't kill me. They need me. Why? My company, the bank, it's a perfect front. It makes everything look great on the tax reports. The bad guys start knocking people off. I mean, they knock off Tom Atkins, shooting him at his daughter's funeral. Imagine this. You're like kind of threatening a cop that they've got to kill the bad guys. You know, you got to get them. You owe me. I saved your life. And then he turns around and is shot in a helicopter at his daughter's funeral. That's fucked up. Right after he talked too, like it was almost as if like they were like, he said something, let's go, let's go, get him. Like, <laughs> like it's immediately after he told her what was going on. And then Gary Busey's like, yep. Yeah, he talked to the two cops. They might know something. And then the general's like, well, we got to take care of them. You know what to do. They attempt to kill Riggs. They think he's dead, but he's actually not. Uh, I do love the the call from Gary Busey to the police headquarters where they're like, oh, yeah, he died. Why? Who is this? And he goes, never mind. We'll send a reporter by. Click. <laughs> he's like, well, we took care of Riggs. <laughs> we just got to get Murtaugh now. <laughs> send him out to the desert to come get <laughs> yeah it's really weird because they go like there's a lot of theatrics to get Murtaugh they kidnap his daughter and then make him drive out to the desert 
to get her so they can find out. Oh, yeah, they do all this because they want to find out what he knows and what he told the police station. And then they torture him. But before any of this, they don't know Riggs is out in the middle of the desert laying in some weeds. And they get into this giant gunfight with helicopters and a limo. It is fantastic. And I love the balls of Joshua, Gary Busey's character, who walks right up to Murtaugh with a grenade in his hand. Which, by the way, when he was threatening everyone, is I'll kill us all. That grenade's not going to kill everyone. The other people are like a hundred and something feet away. The blast radius of that shrapnel, it's not going to do that. Okay? Just watch YouTube on grenade explosions. They have a, uh, a damage radius. They were way out of it. Anyway, um... Well, for for big dum-dums like me, I I believed it as a threat. (laughs) Like some of those guys were like 500 something feet away. I mean, come on. Explosion, explosion, I don't know. It ends up being a smoke bomb. And then what I find hilarious is Riggs is mowing guys down, snipering them from, you know, forever away because he keeps saying that like, he can make shots that no other people can, you know, all this stuff, which is fun. I mean, it's great to his character. It really shows that he's a lethal weapon. Huh? <laughs> I get it. Anyway, the, the smile, the smiley face on the uh, on the shooting range thing. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that is. Yeah, I do love that. And, you know, then they start torturing everyone. And that's, this is when Mel Gibson goes insane. Yeah, he's getting tortured by that one actor. I forget his name. That's in everything at this time. And Al Leong? Long? Yeah, he's literally Uh, played like every Asian character or even sometimes Central American character you can think of. Yeah, he is. And he's always kind of this kind of character where he's like deadly, you know. Uh, It's always fun to watch him in that part right after Gary Busey's great like speech before uh, they start kind of electrocute torturing, water torture, electrocute torturing uh, Mel Gibson here. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. But I also like how the guy who's, you know, the character you're talking about torturing him at the end, he's like, sorry, buddy, you know, like I got to kill you. (laughs) Like, he's so nice. He's like, I'm just doing a job. You know, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. And then and then it leads to a, a great finale, just like right on somebody's front lawn. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's nuts. Uh, but did you catch Thorson? Did you catch Thorson in the background of that? Uh, I don't know. Dust Bowl fight. No. <laughs> oh, he's in there. I did. He's in there standing next to the, the limo at one point and right behind Gary Busey at another point. Yeah, he's in there. I noticed him. I spotted him. Nice. Good. Good catch. <laughs> he's not in there long, but just long enough. During probably the stuntman days or whatever. Yeah, I just love catching him in all these movies. I just wish I could pronounce <laughs> his name. I always fuck it up. Thorson, that's all I know. Oh, this was at the time yeah. period where he had the beard and the mullet. Oh, man. Mm. Oh, man. <sighs> Gotta love the 80s. Mullets are plenty in, in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Definitely. Now we're getting towards the end of it where Joel Silver, you know, was like, okay, we gotta we gotta back this down, Shane Black. We gotta come down with this. You're going you're too high. When you're too high for Joel Silver, that's insane. Uh <laughs> but that tells you how crazy maybe Shane Black's script was. Cause at the end of this, the general was supposed to die in a helicopter explosion crashing into the Hollywood sign. I, I shit you not. 
And Joel Silver's no. like, yeah, I can't afford that. <laughs> and and I remember I remember reading somewhere that Donner doesn't do miniatures, so he was like, that wasn't gonna happen. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so he was screwed either way. Joel Silver said it yeah, was it too. Wasn't yeah. Happen. <laughs> and then when Mel Gibson was running after Joshua in that car, he was supposed to jump in another car, and they were supposed to like do a suicide run into a. Uh, gas station and those two cars would make the gas station exploding blowing up an entire block and uh yeah they're like yeah no let's just have them run into traffic and then uh, joshua gets away and then we'll have the big end uh with the fight in the yard because that's not where it was supposed to take place it was supposed to take place in front of a burning block in the city that is hilarious well if if Long Kiss Goodnight tells me anything, if Rennie Harlan would have directed the script, we would have gotten the burning block. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm glad Rennie Harlan didn't get this. Uh, and that would have been a little too young in his career, but I, I, I see your point. Yes. <laughs> if it was 90s Rennie Harlan doing the script, we would have had the burning block for oh. sure. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, so they get into the fight in this yard with the fire extinguisher the fire extinguisher with a fire hydrant busted and so it looks like it's raining in a way so it's a nice wet yard fight i do love how Murtaugh's like i'll take responsibility for this and i'm thinking i don't think that's how this works <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you can have a fight club in your front yard because you know the cop killers there uh, the albino jackrabbit i'm like yeah i don't know guys but i guess the captain wasn't there so they can get away with it yeah, or they said they're like the sergeant's in charge here, so just listen to what Murtaugh says. And he was just like, "Stand back, let me do a thing." <laughs> yeah, and he—it's a thrilling fight. Now, because it's these two actors doing the majority of the fighting, that's why it's a little clumsy at times. But I don't really care; it's entertaining. I think it's saved by the editing too. Like they are doing a lot of like very stylistic choices within the editing and the cinematography of the fight to try you know try to make it look more real but yeah with the with the, the police lights and it's nighttime and you've got the water from the thing it's very cinematic it looks like a million bucks yeah regardless and i do love how the helicopter is floating above keeping the spotlight on the fight like even the helicopter pilot and the guys in there are like i want to see this <laughs> yeah and they're like well he's gonna smoke this guy but then he's like you know what Let's arrest him. And then he pulls out a gun and it's like, well, <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I can tell you these two cops kill a lot of people. Now, these are a lot of bad people. But can you imagine the paperwork behind that? They probably pawned it off onto somebody else. <laughs> I would hope so. Glover's too old for that shit. <laughs> All right, that's going to come to the end of this review. Uh, we'll, I fully recommend this. I recommend this times three. I've always loved this movie. I think it's great. I think it's got one of the best first 30 minute leads into a movie. I think it's got a great villain. I think the two of these guys are great. This is this is top notch cinema here, people. <laughs> yeah, this is this is action like gold standard. Can't could not agree more. Recommend this wholeheartedly. If you find this VHS, however, from 1987, maybe make a hard pass on it because it is dark. This is before the days of remastering the movie before putting it on a vhs i'm sure the 2000s lethal weapon 
looks great, but this 1987 one looks like it was dragged through dirt. <laughs> Which maybe that's the way you prefer to see it too. So then pick it up if that's your thing. But it is. It looks old as hell. <laughs> oh yeah, I think at a certain point in the 80s, this became so dark and like they're just living in shadows. And you're like, ah, let's pull back. I don't want every film to look like Godfather 2. Yeah, this was definitely dark shot. And then when it was put on film, just not, you know, meant for uh, watching this like with the lights on or anything like that, because you won't be able to see anything. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Another great thing is giving blood. So let's run the Geekscape commercial. Hi, Geekscapists. The Geekscape podfather, Jonathan here. In May, we lost one of our own, longtime Geekscapist Christopher Ellis, who was a friend and a part of our geek community from the very beginning. Chris even met his wife Sarah through our podcast, and their 2015 wedding seemed like a giant Geekscape party. Chris's final weeks battling in the hospital shed light on a huge national problem. The COVID pandemic has almost completely depleted our national and local blood banks. These supplies are used by thousands of hospitals to provide life-saving treatments to patients or to buy enough time for loved ones just to say goodbye. So for the next month and beyond, we're going to do it big in Chris's memory and do some good in the process. We're throwing a blood drive. Visit www.aabb.org to find a donation center near you or visit other blood and platelet donation centers like the Red Cross. And let's make things interesting. For the next month, take a selfie of yourself donating with the hashtag GeekscapeGives and tag your favorite Geekscape podcast. We'll pick some charitable Geekscapists to send prizes to and the podcast that gets mentioned the most We'll also get some cool rewards. I should actually cancel the podcast that gets mentioned the least. Can I do that? Whatever. The point is, go out there and donate some blood, tag a selfie of yourself doing it with the hashtag GeekscapeGives, and get others to do the same. We couldn't save our friend Chris, but we can do a whole lot of good in his name. Geekscape forever! Let's move on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go on the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. Oh man, our Richard Donner slash lethal weapon wing of the museum. There's like a th- there's a hundred things I could put in here. Um, so I'm going to go first, though. I'm not going to put the pressure on you. Uh, I think I'm just it's kind of corny, but uh, I was amazed at how ridiculous Mel Gibson's mullet is in this. I mean, really, I could not take my eyes off of it. It's it's pretty magnetic. It's pretty fantastic. You know, he's, he's got to have a blow dryer. Someone's just holding a blow dryer on the other end of the camera the entire time. And as soon as they say cut, they're running over there with some hairspray and then also drying it and then combing it because you can't make it look like it's hairsprayed. But it's got to stay perfect, you know, just right there in that like way too rugged wind, like like winds constantly blowing in it. I don't know how they do it. I really don't. I mean, it's iconic. It's like it's iconically attached to this movie. So I think this is very worthy addition to the museum as cheesy as it is, because I can't think of this movie. I can't see this poster without seeing that moment. I can't think of this movie without thinking of Mel Gibson looking like this. I can't think of this series without thinking of Mel Gibson looking like this. So that moment's pretty iconic. I think that's a good choice. All right. What do you got? 
I'm going to put in the opening scene because it really just kicks off the movie in a really smart, clever way. It's dark. It sort of gives you the tone because you've got the Christmas song playing while you've got the sex worker jumping off the building after just doing a line of coke. Like, it's just, it's hard-edged. It's, you know, pushing us into this neo-noir that the movie is. And I, I think I think just with this opening scene alone, we kind of redefine the genre in 1987 with this movie. So I think this is the thing that really kicks it off. And I think it's hilarious that in the last movie we talked about with Maverick, I put in the end scene in the museum. And for this one, I'm going to put in the first scene in it. Really, even though I forgot where it came in the story, uh, it's a powerful first scene. Uh, because as many times as I've seen this, you know, I really do mean I forget that she actually jumps. I always expect someone to like push her because that would like start off like a detective story, which is like what Shane Black is. You know, he's constantly inspired by these old like detective, hard nosed detective um, books that he used to read as a kid. And uh, it really shows in his writing. And it also is probably why he's so good at the like buddy cop. And I wouldn't even say that he's just good at like men couples. Yeah. Duos. I mean, nobody does duos better at all. Like, and then also just like the way the adults interact with kids, you know, the various, the Shane Blackisms that work so, so well. And it's Christmas <laughs> as usual. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and I love how the Christmas is never actually mentioned. No, you get the Christmas song that starts us off. We see some Christmas trees. And then like when Danny Grover's house is just destroyed, <laughs> it's got all the all the Christmas decorations. Up. I can tell you that something is funny and throughout this entire franchise is how much damage Danny Glover's family's house takes and like even yeah. the cars, everything. It's like they're going out of their way to fuck up his life. So he has to keep yep. working. <laughs> yep. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah, it's very funny. It's a very funny recurring gag in this series. Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, so I watched Jolt this week. Kate Beckinsale, still going, still looks like she's in her mid-30s, but there's no way she is. I think she's 67. <laughs> the movie's an okay revenge film. Uh, you know, Jolt's not one I'm going to go back and rewatch. Uh, I do like that we keep getting these female-led revenge films uh, because we had so many male-led ones through the 80s, 90s, I mean, forever. I think this story was better on script than after you put it, you know, on the camera or, you know, after you put it on film or digital, whatever. I don't know. Like, nothing really sticks out to me. You know, it's just your basic. uh, She can't control herself, which makes her stronger. And then she uses, like, I mean, that's you don't see that too often in movies. She has like some type of chemical in her body that makes her like super angry, impulsive and stronger for some reason. But they never said she had super strength. I want to point that out. It's just her anger made her stronger. It's like a cross between like a Hulk and a crank, basically. Yeah, it's like berserker, like berserker power. I don't know. You know, and she has a a suit of electric shock that like keeps her calm. Like all this is kind of fun. You know, that you would see on a script and then you put it on camera and you're like, I've seen this, though. Once you get past the shocking, I've seen it all. And there was no scene that really stuck out to me. I think that's the problem. You know, I had some fun bad guys, but it just didn't have that one captivating scene that you're like, oh, shit, you got to see this. I'm a guy that honestly, as I'm getting older or whatever, I'm I'm pretty pro streaming at this point. Like, I I do like having all these options to stream movies like. 
between the HBOs and the Netflix and stuff like that. But one criticism I've always given Netflix, and I, and I'm going to extend this kind of to most of the yeah, like Amazon. A lot of these original movies that get picked up for Amazon and for Netflix and for Hulu, they're missing sort of that thing that like makes the movies that go to theaters special. You know what I mean? They still they they haven't cracked it yet. All these, all these, like we talked about it in Tomorrow War, which was just a big disappointment, but cost obviously tons of money and was, you know, an Amazon original. And then we've got this being another Amazon original or whatever. And I, I've said it countless times with Netflix originals. They just don't have it. They just don't have it that like the theatrical movies always have. No, they live too much in a gray area. They basically are TV movies still. Yeah. You know? Like, I know they're, I know streaming is a whole new thing, but like, none, there's very few that I can think of that really jumped out. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about The Babysitter. That was one, I think, that broke yeah. through. I think that was a Netflix original that was pretty great. But like, the rest of them, I'm always sort of just like, I feel like I just had like a McDonald's cheeseburger. I ate it, it did a thing, but I don't feel great about it. Yeah, and for some reason, I'm going to go back for more. Maybe not the same, but it'll just like be another one of these revenge films because they'll suck you in and be like, oh, this might be good. But, you know, I think there's a reason why they get sold to these streaming services. Like, you know, you kind of look at it and you're like, it's good. It's not great. So might as well just take the instant profit of selling it to a streaming service instead of taking the chance with a distributor in the theater. Yeah, it, and I think that's exactly it. I think the only one that's doing that any different is HBO because HBO has always had great original movies. So I think they're still keeping that up. But like all these other ones, yeah, it totally feels like the theatrical rejects that are on all the streams. Yeah, I agree. All right, what'd you watch this week? I went to the theater. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, after all that shit talking, I did. I went to the theater and I saw uh, Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe prequel standalone however ah, yes the origin thing that x-men failed at yes and i thought it was pretty good i didn't love it i didn't think it was the best thing ever or whatever but it was pretty good it had some good action it had some good effects it had some good spectacle it was pretty good <laughs> yeah i've heard a lot of people just say it's like right in the middle and i'm wondering if like what we just talked about with Jolt, if that kind of mixed into this, where the the two people I know other than you that saw just said like, yeah, it was good. It went great. And I'm like, OK, so I feel like there's a lot of these movies that are kind of just like like running off an algorithm, almost where they're not like they don't have the human touch of like making it special. And I don't know why, but I don't know if you agree with that at all. This movie didn't have any kind of like you know, very big name stylish director behind it. So it didn't like stand out like in that way. So yeah, algorithmically, it just kind of hits all the beats that it needs to for a big budget action movie or whatever. It doesn't really bring any new stylistic flourishes or anything to it. And yeah, it's, uh, it is, it totally does feel like it's like, okay, well, what's going to kind of appeal to everybody. But then in that you kind of lose the special thing that makes the movies that kind of last forever last forever where this was just like a serviceable good action movie yeah i do wonder if because so many of these movies are written off scripts and it's like completely hammered together before you even need a director and most of these movies barely need directors especially marvel movies i've even heard about that they're like so many of these you know like 50 percent of the movie is action sequences which are all like storyboard and put together 
way before the acting even starts. And like all the CG has done everything. And you then you get this like hollow movie in certain parts because the acting, the dialogue, the interaction is such a secondary thought. And I feel like everything is so much relying on these action scenes. And then once that over, once it's over, then you get like something where you're like, well, I kind of saw this coming. Uh, you know, it's like, whatever. These stories are boring. We've seen them. Yeah, I think it's like we were we were just talking about it's like the Netflix thing where it's like the studios sort of sell off the stuff that they're like, eh, it's OK, but it'll, you know, whatever do. This movie feels like a step up from that where it does feel kind of bigger. It does feel more like a, a theatrical thing. However, I do feel like it came out now because they were like, we could do a COVID write-off on it. <laughs> it feels like they were like, yeah, it's pretty good. We could put it in theaters. People will be happy to see it in theaters. But we're obviously going to take a loss on it. So put it out now while people really still aren't going to the movies and we'll just write it off. That's kind of how it felt. Yeah, I just feel like a lot of these movies are really hitting in the middle. And uh, audiences are kind of waiting for a movie that's just going to blow their minds. And most likely it's going to be a smaller film that like way surpasses its expectations. Yeah, it's going to surprise us. Like, you, you can't algorithmically plan that. You know, it's going to whatever is going to be the next big great hit is not going to come out of nowhere. And then that's I'm excited for it. But uh, yeah, we'll just if we're not we're not going to know when it's going to hit. Yeah, like because you look at like a movie like Upgrade. That was a solo view on a movie, you know, that was a director and a writer coming together with their views, getting a little bit of money and making a movie that really stood out. It wasn't created on this, like what it feels like, a, just like a team of writers and creators. It was a solo view and that's why it was unique. That's why it had a unique look. I don't know. I, I miss movies like that. Uh, I know that came out like three years ago, but it just feels longer. Because there's just so many of these Marvel movies and these DC movies where I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's all written by teams. I mean, obviously, DC's teams are worse, but <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's I mean, when the movie is 95 percent made in a computer and you basically only need 15 days to kind of film the people walking around the sets before they all get digitized, like, <laughs> you know. You're, you're already losing something. There. Yeah, I feel like their workout sessions are longer than their acting sessions. Exactly. The prep and the CGI takes longer than any of the filming. And I think that's kind of where we went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that'll end it this week. Uh, come back next week for another Lethal Weapon. We're going through this franchise. It's going to be fun. So come back next week. So remember to be kind. Rewind.